Listen, you guys. Is it awesome to worship with our team in the morning? Praise the Lord, man. Yeah. Just, I feel like I'm just coming into the presence of God when, when we worship together. Man, it's just, it's so uplifting and so encouraging. I love it. You know, this morning, did something happen this week? You know, I'm getting a little bit old, and I think earlier in the week, something happened that had, had all kinds of people all stressed out and up in arms and concerned about things. Um, because there seems to be a lot of tension lately. I turn on the TV and people are wandering around the streets and doing all kinds of stuff. Um, but have you noticed that it's kind of hard for Americans to agree on anything? We, we have a hard time agreeing on just about anything, don't we? In fact, I decided I'd do a little bit of testing to see if that's really true, to see how well we agree, and just in our little church, you know, how well we can agree on things. So I thought I'd do a little bit of test. So let's start the first one. Would you guys like Coke or Pepsi? Pepsi. All right, well, so far we're gone. How about this one, Dodgers or Giants? Dodgers! Ah. <laughs> yeah, you know, even Dodgers forever. UCLA, USA. <laughs> Yeah, I can tell we're unified on this. Next. Rams or Raiders? Rams. Neither. <laughs> Neither. Niners. Niners, yeah. How about this one? Action or romance? <laughs> Boy, we are so unified. How about this one? Donald or Hillary? Uh, now listen, this is, the, this is the one that's like the life changer. It causes more controversy than anything. How about this one? Over or under? <laughs> how many are unders? Uh, how many are overs? <laughs> wow. How many just throw it on the floor and don't really care? <laughs> you know, we, we, um, we, we have such a hard time agreeing together, don't we? And it's such a challenge because, you know, this election particularly, it seemed like I heard more people saying... It would be so much easier if I felt like either choice was the right choice. In fact, there is, there is an obituary that, listen to this, faced with the prospect of voting for either Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton, Mary Ann Nolan of Richmond chose instead to pass into the eternal love of God on Sunday, May 15, 2016. <laughs> One of us got it right. <laughs> But, you know, I, I really want us to grapple with this, you know, because I think that uh, as a church, we have, to come, we have to come to grips with what things like this are all about. Because as a church, we say that we love God, we love people, and we change the world, right? And I think the challenge is, how does that happen? How do we, how do we as Grace Fellowship Church, love God, love people, and change the world? How do we get a hold of what the purpose is that God's called us to be as a church and implement that in a way that is, that's life-changing. You know, Chuck Colson, who is the Attorney General under Richard Nixon, he said that, he wrote that every morning um, we would gather around the conference table and President, President Nixon would start like this. He would look at each one of us and he would say, 
the decisions we make today are going to change the world forever. And then, and then Colson said, eight years later, I'm in prison, and I realize we didn't change a thing. He said this. He said, because until you change the human heart, you never really change anything. You never really change anything. And so here's the thing, you guys, as a church, because if we end up getting sucked down the wrong road of our opinion and um, our, print, our, you know, the things that, that we want to argumentative positions and um, making points and all that kind of stuff that we can get into where we would rather be right than be loving, um, I think we end up doing some things that we uh, think may make a change and really they don't make any real difference at all. And so if you're sitting here this morning like me where you're thinking, you know, I really do want my country back. You know, I want it to be better. I want it to be more compassionate. I want it to fall in love with God. I want it to fall in love with God-honoring principles. I want my kids to grow up um, being valued and, and knowing that they have something better that they're looking towards. I want to restore reverence for life. So, you know, in other words, um, if that's you, then, then there's something that I think I really want us to, to understand as a, as a people this morning is, you see, this Bible... The way that God worked then is the way that God works now. The way that God worked then is the way that God works Thanks, Chuck. How about the rest of you? The way that God works is the way that God works Thank you. I know I'm not as smart, intelligent, good-looking, and dynamic as Doug, but every once in a while, it's nice to get a little support. So I want us to understand that that principle is true. And as we go through some passages this morning, I want us to understand that what God did then is the same stuff that God is going to do now. He's not a different God. He hasn't changed. He hasn't, he hasn't said, well, gosh, I never realized we were going to have computers. You know, I didn't know we were going to have all, all this, this, you know, technology. I mean, God knows. So I want to start us in, in uh, Ephesians 6. I love Ephesians. And I just want to jump off in the, in the passage that Doug has been teaching out of. Have you loved the, Doug teaching through Ephesians? Hasn't it been awesome? So Ephesians 6, starting with verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to, stand, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Therefore, I mean, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. I love this passage. Now, here's some things I want us to get our arms around. Because the, the truth that, that, that Paul was teaching then is the same truth that we need to get our arms around today. First thing we have to understand is what Paul says. He says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of whose might? His might. His might. So, so the first thing we need to understand is our strength is in the Lord. So turn to the person next to you and say, your strength is in the Lord. We have to get our arms around that. Our strength is in the Lord. And then the second thing that Paul does as he goes through, he says, put on the full armor of God 
so that you will be able to stand, stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So the second thing is, we not only need to understand that our strength is in the Lord, but we need to recognize who the real enemy is. Are you guys with me? Sometimes I think we're fighting against the wrong enemies. Paul says our struggle is not against what? Flesh and blood. It's against what? Powers and principalities. Why are we fighting this battle against flesh and blood? Paul is saying, you know what? Your battle is not on Facebook. So don't unfriend all your friends because they voted for somebody you don't like. Your battle is not against people. Your battle is on your knees if the Lord fighting against powers and principalities. Amen. Amen. So, so that, that's our battle. And this is a challenge we have because we don't recognize who the enemy. And just, just to make it straight, you know, Satan gets way too much credit. I mean, I, I fear him. I know he's way smarter than me. But you know what? Is he, is he, is he omnipresent? Is he everywhere all the time? So what are the chances that he actually attacked you? Probably slim to none. I mean, he doesn't care about me. He's, he's in Washington, D.C. doing his thing. He doesn't care about me or Russia or China or someplace where he, but he's got a bunch of, you know, powers and principalities that are doing duty on us ourselves. But, but just so we understand where the spiritual battle is, is we have to recognize the enemy, and I think we spend way too much fighting in a realm that isn't where our fight is. And that's what I want us to get our arms around today, is that we need to understand that, one, our strength is in the Lord, and two, who is our enemy that we're really fighting? And then the third thing that Paul says, and he says it a couple times, because he says, you know, to stand firm, therefore. So we need to be a people who, once we understand who where our strength is and where the enemy is, we need to stand firm with who we are and what God's doing in us. And then he goes on and he says, that we need to put on, and Doug covered the first couple of things of armor, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So we need to be properly protected. So we need to know our strength is in the Lord. We need to recognize who the real enemy is. We need to stand firm in that truth. And then we need to be well-equipped. And Doug has talked about being equipped. And what did he talk about last, last Sunday? Where was the battle? I know it was a week ago. God, thank you. In the mind. You could say that out loud. This is church. You can talk. It's in the mind. So our battle is in the mind. And God, and he, when he talked about, what did, what did um, the enemy came when he came to Eve and says, hey, you can eat that apple because God, you know, you're not going to die. God's lying to you. And, and in fact, you're going to be like God. And that's the, that's the same lie we believe all the time. Well, you, don't have to, you don't have to trust God. Do your own thing. You're smarter than he is. And the battle is, is in our mind. Do we really understand and accept the fact that our strength is in the Lord? Do we really understand the fact that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities? Do we really understand the stuff that God wants to, to put deep inside of us because we're taking the truth and we're transferring it from our mind to our hearts and it's transforming our lives? Paul is laying this stuff out so that we could become a people who are life-changing people, who are changing the world because we're living differently than those people around us, because we're taking our battle to the powers and principalities, not to the flesh and blood. Are you guys understanding the difference? This is so important. And in times like this, when there's so much chaos and so much unrest and so much um, division, 
We as a body are the ones that unite. We are the, as a body come together and say, this is really what's important. And when that happens, God does extraordinary things in us and through us. And I want us to look at what happens when we don't allow God's truth to penetrate the innermost parts of our being and we don't walk in obedience to him because we can't trust him. Turn, to, turn with me to Joshua 1. This is, this, is, this is then living out what Paul is teaching. It's just amazing at how Scripture just aligns with itself throughout Scripture. Joshua chapter 1. Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given to you, just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness in this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun, will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous to be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So here God is coming to Joshua. And the, and the thing that Paul says are twofold, right? We need to know the truth, and we need to, to have a life that's right with God, righteousness. So God comes to Joshua, and he says, Joshua, first you need to understand something that's true. Here is what I'm going to do for you. Here's my promise to you. See, God, God comes to us and God gives us promises. We're saved by grace, right? Not by works. We're a workmanship made, created in his image, right? There are things that we know to be true. Well, God came to Joshua and said, these are things that you need to know that are true. He come, came to Joshua and, and Joshua was able to hold on to God's promises, not his strategy, not what he thought he should do, not what makes sense to him, but what God came to him and said, this is what I'm going to do. Every foot that, everywhere where your foot treads, I've given it to you. Um, you. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. For you shall give possession of this land. I swore to their fathers, only be strong and courageous again. He says it over and over and over again. And then he says, not only do you need to understand what my commitment is to you, and people, we need to understand what God's commitment is to us. But with Joshua, he says, now what you need to also understand is the direction I'm giving you. It's easy for us sometimes to go, okay, I believe that God loves me and I believe that God has a plan for my life, but I'm not doing that. And so God says, here's some things that you need to do, Joshua, that's going to help you be somebody who walks in obedience with me, who has a life where there's righteousness, where it's a right relationship with me. He says this, he said, be strong and courageous, so, so I give people position. Verse 7, he says, 
Only be, very, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to the love which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For, even, uh, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble and be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So not only did, jo did Joshua have God's promise, but Joshua had God's direction. And it's important for us to listen to God and not only know who we are in him and the relationship that we have, but we need to know him and what he's calling us to be. God said, I am with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Walk with me. So we need to know God's promise and God's direction. And, 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 you know, that's the same stuff that Paul was talking to the Ephesians, is know the truth and know how to take that truth and walk in obedience to God. God said, Joshua, here's the truth. Take this now and, and walk in obedience. Obey me. And don't turn from it to the right or to the left. Our challenge is, is that we read this and then we go out into our life and we go, that does not make sense. I'm not doing that. I don't like that. That doesn't feel good. Love your enemies. No way. Love your wife like Christ. Love the church. You don't deserve that. Submit to your husband. He's an idiot. I mean, we have ways of going, well, you know, God, I don't know. I don't know. And here's the thing, that, here's, the, here's the, the issue with that is when, when we don't trust God to do what he calls us to do, we miss it. Let's turn to the numbers and let's look at the, the parents of Joshua. In Numbers 13, you just go back past Deuteronomy, the next book is Numbers. In numbers 13, God talked to the Israelites and gave them pretty much the same message that he gave Joshua. And in Numbers 13, starting at verse 25, it says, Moses had sent out 12 spies. They went out into the promised land. They were, out, they were there for a while, and they came back. And it says, when they returned from spying out the land at the end of the 40 days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Thus they told him, and they said, We went to, into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. And there was some really good stuff. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and are very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there, and Amalek was living in the land of the Negev, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites are living in the hill country, and the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone and spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There also we saw... The, uh, we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, are part of the Nephilim, and we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. 
So here we have their parents going into the promised land. And what happened when they went into the promised land? They saw something that was bigger than their God. Their circumstances became bigger than their God. I know that God told us this, but I'm seeing this. What they saw was bigger and more significant than what God told them he was going to do in their life. How often does that happen? How, do we, how often do we look at America, America and say, our circumstances of what it looks like is going on in our culture is much bigger than what God is going to do through this little church. And we, we kind of feel like grasshoppers in this big picture. You ever feel like that? You ever said, so what can I do anyway? I'm just one person, right? They felt like grasshoppers. Their circumstances were bigger than their God. And what did they do as a result? And this is the travesty of so many Christians, is they played it safe. They went into survival mode. Listen, people, we have choice. We're either going to thrive in our walk with the Lord or we're just going to survive in our life. And, and, the, and the Israelites decided that they were going to survive. So they went into survival mode. They hunkered down. And they said, we're not doing that. It's too scary. It's too risky. Those people are too big. God can't handle this. So we're just going to play it safe. And they wandered around for the rest of their life and accomplished nothing. We have a window of time as people in this world. We grow like, a, like a, a blade of grass. We dry up and we blow away. And you know what? The one thing that we can do here that we can't do in heaven? Love non-Christians. Be a light in the midst of darkness. So when we get saved and we go to heaven, you're not going to find any non-Christians. You're not going to find any people that you don't like. But here is the place where we get to be people who impact the kingdom in a powerful way. And the thing that's powerful about this is they didn't know what God knew. Listen, you guys, they did not know what God knew. We do not know what God knows. So these people were being called to go into the promised land. They came back with a report, but they didn't know what God knew. And you're probably thinking, oh, well, what did God know? I'm glad you asked that question. <laughs> Let's go back to, to Joshua. This is great. Joshua 2 says that um, Joshua sent out two spies. First thing, Joshua learns. This is great. This is Doug's leadership. He can use this. <laughs> Moses sent out 12 spies. What happened? 10 came back with a bad report. Two came back with a good report. Joshua said, man, Moses, if you'd have just sent me and Caleb out and not those other 10, we'd be in the promised land by now. So what did he do? He only sent out two. That's probably not how he was thinking, but it makes a good story. So he sent out two spies. The two spies come back, or the two spies are out there. They, they actually find this, this harlot Rahab, who incidentally is in Jesus' lineage, so, so God had to protect her, so he was in the process of protecting her. But, but for this story... This is something that I, th that I think is awesome. In Joshua 2, verse 8, it says, Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof, and she said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the terror of you has fallen on, on, has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. Who's melted away? How many? All the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, 
and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. Now listen to this. When we heard it, our hearts melted, and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. So what did they notice that caused their hearts to melt within them? Two things, right? Part of the Red Sea, defeated the kings of the Amorites. Whose generation did that happen in? The parents. So the parents came to the promised land. Now get this, this is important. This, this is critical for us to get our arms around. The parents came to the promised land and saw giants. And they said, compared to us, we are what? Grasshoppers. And because we think we're grasshoppers and we see ourselves as grasshoppers, how must they see us? As grasshoppers, right? How did they see them? Listen. When we heard it, our hearts melted and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. So do you think they stood there and go, well, they're what a bunch of grasshoppers. They were terrified of the army of the living God and they wouldn't go in because they saw themselves as grasshoppers and said, well, if I see myself as a grasshopper, then they must see me as a grasshopper. Listen, you guys, God wants to change the world through this church. But you know what part of our problem is? We see ourselves as grasshoppers. And so we can't talk to anybody and we can't do anything and we can't love people and we can't be who Jesus wants us to be because we're just too small and that nobody would... I mean, we, we have to understand that God knows what we don't know. And so as we walk in obedience to him, God does powerful things. And I'm telling you, you guys, it really... I don't want to be too trite with this, but it really doesn't matter who got elected as president in the eternal spectrum of what God is doing, okay? Now, I voted, and I voted as consciously as I could based on issues that I felt would justify my vote. It took work, but I, I did. Um, but here's the thing. Donald Trump is still submissive to an almighty God. Doug taught this. We are submissive people, and God is the God of the universe. Jesus is Lord. He reigns on high. So every leader in the world is submissive to the living God. If we get our arms around that and we understand that, that he's almighty God, he remains on high, and we are his children. We're his son. We're his daughter. And what does that mean? That means we can walk in obedience to him. We can live to glorify him. We can live to honor him. And it doesn't really matter what your agenda is, what your political preference is, or what's happening in the world, because God is doing what God is doing. And we just don't know what God's doing a lot of the times. Amen? Amen. So if we can walk in obedience to that, we're going to be people who will change the world because he calls us to be a light in the midst of darkness. That's why we can come together and we can have Democrats and we can have Republicans and we can have UCLA fans and we can have the mistaken people who vote for that other school. Um, but, oh, Kenny, I'm just joking. I mean, we can have fans from all kinds and all preferences. I mean, we can come together and know that all of that stuff really doesn't make sense in the light of the, the spiritual, eternal things that God wants. 
And listen, this, John 16, Jesus and John 14, 15, 16, and 17. Jesus came on the scene, and in those four chapters, Jesus was trying to help his disciples understand what was going on. Jesus, Jesus was the Messiah. I mean, get this. I mean, if you guys can emotionally get your arms around this, then it'll make this week look like child's play. Jesus was, was the Messiah. Jesus was the one that was going to come in on a white horse and bring Israel back to its dominance. Jesus was going was to conquer Rome. Rome was oppressive. Taxes were high. There was no freedom. There was no rights. I mean, the people living at that time in the Roman Empire were living under an oppressive government, and Jesus was going to come and set them free from all that. He was going to conquer Rome and set up the kingdom here. Think about that. And not only that, the dude walks on water. He calms the sea. He heals the sick. He raises the dead. He gets Robert all excited and sneezes all over the place. I mean, that Jesus was the man. Think about it. He cast out demons. I mean, he did unbelievable stuff, and he is going to be the one that's going to set us free, and we're going to be back to David's age, and we're going to, it's going to be awesome. Except one problem, right? It's not why he came. It's not why he came. Because Jesus fights against what? Powers and principalities. He doesn't fight against flesh and blood. He came to set the captives free. He came to save us from our sin. He came to, save, to give us eternal salvation. He came to be the one who put a death to sin. Where is your sting? He conquered that. He came the one to set us free eternally. Imagine how everybody felt when he got crucified. Their whole political system just came crashing down. But in John 16, he's talking to his disciples. And he says this, verse 33, you don't need to turn to it, I'll just read it. He says, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. Where's the peace? In, in him, right? And in Jesus. In me you may have peace. Turn to the person next to you and say, in Jesus you have peace. We need to get that. Because then it goes on and he says this, in the world... You have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. In the world, you have what? And in me, you have. So explain to me why we're trying to find peace in the world. Can you explain? Why are we trying to find peace in who's president? Why are we trying to find peace in where I live or what job I have or what car I drive? Why are we trying to find peace in who I married? Why are we trying to find peace in the things of the world? Why? Why? Why are we not getting this? Jesus says, in me you have peace. And, the, and he knew what the disciples were going to face. So he says, man, if you can understand that the peace that you're going to have is in me, not in what goes on around you, it's transforming for us. But we have to get that deep into the, our hearts because we need to know that that's the truth. And we're trying to find peace in stuff that doesn't give us peace. Amen. Thank you. You know, there's a guy, as long as we're talking politics, 
There's a guy in the Bible that was just an awesome guy, godly man. God called him, and uh, pretty much ever since God called him, his world fell apart. Um, so he wouldn't be the role model for the prosperity teachers. Um, but uh, I think God has him in the Bible for a reason. Um, and then he wrote a book. And in the book, all he did was just whine and moan and lament and complain about how bad everything was. And in fact, when he had to get a title to the book, he called it Lamentations. It's like, that's a bestseller. <laughs> I want to go buy Lamentations. But listen to this. He, the first two chapters, he just talks about how bad everything is. And then in Lamentations 3, starting at verse 21, he has, a, he has a change of heart. Something dawns on him that changes how he feels on the inside. And starting at verse 21, he says this, and this is exactly what Doug was talking about last Sunday. He says, this I recall to my mind. Huh. This I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. So, so he says, you know, nothing really has changed. Nothing has gotten any better, but because I remember this, I have hope. So what did he remember? The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. His compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. So in the midst of something where it seems like everything's going wrong, he says, man, I remember that his loving kindnesses never cease. Things may not change, but that really doesn't matter because God's character doesn't change either. And God is faithful to do what he's called us to even when we don't know what's happening. Even when, when, when he knows what we don't know. And if we, we can remember that he knows stuff that we don't know. So if he's called us to do this, we should do it because he knows what he's doing. His loving kindness has never ceased and his compassions never fail. Here's a challenge, you guys. We are looking for um, love in all the wrong places. I mean, we're looking for people that to, to give us significance that will fail us. Our politicians will fail us. People will fail us. Our pastors will fail us. They're human beings. Your parents will fail you. Your spouses will fail you. Your neighbors will fail you. The system will fail you. The only place where you will have something that will never cease is the relationship that you have with God because God will never fail you. His compassion never fails. They are new every morning. Every morning His compassion comes and it fills us and it will not fail us. We don't need to get stressed out about all that stuff. See, here's the thing. That if we could get our arms around this and understand that the God of the universe didn't create you, uniquely you, and then place you here at Grace Fellowship Church with your gifts and then give you one life, one shot, one time to make a difference eternally and then say, well, I hope they live a stressed out, anxious, miserable life. That's not what God's plan is for us. God wants better for us than that. And if we could really get this deep down in our hearts, if we could transform our mind to know his loving kindnesses never cease, his compassion never fails us. They're new every morning. Jeremiah went from just, man, this just everything that he sees was not something that was encouraging. But what was encouraging is his God never changes. He is the same all the time. 
He is faithful all the time. He is compassionate all the time. And his plan is perfect all the time. Even if we don't understand what he's doing. Even if we don't see the end result of what he's doing. So just to kind of wrap this thing up. Because what I want us to do is I really want us to be encouraged. I don't want us to be discouraged. Because God is faithful and God never changes and his character never changes. And he wants us to be people who are changing the world. He wants us to be people who are loving him. And as we love him, we recognize that his loving kindness has never ceased. As we love him, we recognize that his compassions never fail. And when we know that, it gives us the capacity to love people. To love people who don't know that they're captives of the enemy. To love people who disagree with us because they we love people. doesn't matter. We're called to love people and to be a light in the midst of the darkness. And when we love people, we impact lives and lives are transformed. The world is changed. And their world is changed through the work that we do. Here's the thing. There's one thing throughout this Bible. There's one question that always gets answered, that always gets asked from cover to cover in this Bible, throughout the whole Bible. There's the one question that always gets raised, and that question is this. How big is your God? How big is your God? And how you feel about that impacts the result. I mean, how you live and how you feel is a direct result of how big your God is, about the size of your God. we could get that, how you feel and the way you live is a direct result of the size of your God. How you feel and the way you live is a direct result of the size of your God. See, most Christians are running around these days stressed out about the election and finances and relationships and and all kinds of stuff, but the, the real problem, it's really not their circumstances. It's that they have a God that's way too small. And if you wake up and go through your day with a shrunken view of God, you'll live in a constant state of fear, stress, and anxiety. Because everything depends on you, right? Because if, if your God's too small to handle it, who has to handle it? I do. And if I can't handle it, what's the result? I'm stressed, I'm anxious, I'm discouraged, I'm frustrated. I take it all on myself. And the reality is, is when our God is big and we know our God's big, he's going to ask us to do things that are beyond us, right? Because when we do things that are beyond us, who gets the credit? God has to because we can't take credit for that. Could you imagine Joshua after God stopped up the Jordan and they walked through the Jordan and he goes, wow, that was good. I can't believe I was that good. Man, I didn't know I could do that. I didn't think I could pull that off. There's no way. I mean, that was so unbelievable that only God could get the glory for that. See, if you have a need and you have a shrunken view of God, you're going to panic instead of pray because God's not big enough to handle it. If someone criticizes you or doesn't like you or disproves of you, you're going to get all twisted up in knots inside because you don't have the security of knowing that there is this big, giant God 
who loves you and cares for you and is your father. And your security is in who he is, not what other people think about you. I mean, think about it. If you have a giant, all-powerful God who loves you, cares for you, and said, I will never leave you or forsake you, who has his arms around you 24-7, he's guaranteed to give you security and hope in a future. I mean, if that's the God that you wake up to every day, who the heck cares what somebody says to you on campus or what somebody says to you at work or what somebody says to you in a parking lot? I mean, who cares? We're secure in our relationship with Christ. Because here's the, here's the issue. When, when um, Christians really shrink God, and we, we shrink God down to a, to a level below him, we settle for panic instead of prayer. We worry instead of worship. We have anxiety instead of adoration. We have pettiness instead of purpose. See, and, and when we have a God that's shrunken down, we end up living life without big dreams, without hope, without faith, without a compelling vision, without big joy. We miss on so much of what God has for us. And I just want us to, to, to understand that really what, whatever happens as a result of the elections, whatever happens as a result of whatever's happened in your life, if you wake up in the arms of God, who is all-powerful, utterly competent, all-knowing, who has guaranteed your future, and when you wake up every morning in the arms of a God who is that big and that capable and that competent, that is going to determine how you feel and how you live. Amen? Amen? And that happens when we are a people who are continually renewing our mind with the truth of who God is and knowing that that God never changes. He's the same today, yesterday, and forever. He doesn't change. The stuff that God did, it's the same he does. You guys are not exempt from what God wants to do. Amen?